This is the Pathways to Greatness podcast, and I'm your host, Jeff Forrester. So over the the course of 2024, I'm going to be reading chapters from my book, Unleash Potential. I got the idea from John Gardena, and I really liked it because not only does it make me go back through and read and reflect on the book that I wrote, it also gives people the opportunity that if, if you're anything like me in this busy, crazy, hectic world, for the last couple of years, I just haven't made the time to sit down and read a book. So my hope is, is that through this, that you'll read this, you'll listen to this, and then potentially if you haven't purchased the book that you see value in it and you go and you buy it so you have it as a reference point, but more importantly, that you just gain some value from it. That's all I want to do. It's not anything that I am interested in specifically monetizing this. I mean, I may put everything together and upload it as an audible book, which is what John had done. So I figured it kills two birds with one stone. But it also, for me, it just presents the opportunity to add to my goal to over the next five years, I want to impact over a million people. And if I can do that by recording an episode, releasing it, and having you listen, then it's a benefit. So just hang on. You're going to see this periodically pop up. I, originally, I thought about releasing them in a row, but I do also want to have conversations with other people and want to release those to you as well. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to record these and then just pop them in maybe every other week, every couple of weeks, but just over the course of of the year, I'll have my entire book read. So I hope you enjoy. I hope that the words in this book help provide you some benefit to unleash your potential. Forward. It's been my long-standing belief that the greatest teacher in life is experience. Good old-fashioned trial and error. Now, there are two ways to look at that. The first is the most common, your experience and what you can take away from it. The second or the other option is learning from somebody else's experience. When it comes to the first, there is no substitute for going through it alone. Sometimes you just have to learn wisdom by living fit life. But when it comes to the latter, well, why not avoid some pitfalls or gain advantage of wisdom by modeling somebody who has been there before, maybe even experience something similar to what you're going through? When I seek the second type of experience, I don't trust that to just anybody. There's a lot of information out there and the resources to choose from are abundant. But personally, for me, I do my homework. If I'm going to give somebody my valuable time and invest in what they have to teach, I'm going to make sure that they are three things. One, trustworthy and knowledgeable. Two, not only talk the talk, but walk the walk. Three, in it for the right reasons. Jeff checks all of those boxes for me. In this book, you will quickly discover his teaching comes through the vulnerability of his story. No sugarcoating or rah-rah stuff, just real-life experience. He's sincere and passionate and wanting to make a difference in the way we see ourselves and what we may perceive as limitations to our own success or happiness. His lessons on facing adversity, hard work, resilience, self-esteem, faith, and being intentional are ones which anybody can relate to and benefit from. That being said, 
This book aside, let me tell you from my heart a little bit about the man whose words you're about to read. You see, I've been around the block a time or two, and I've seen a lot of what this world has to offer in terms of teaching and self-development. And to be honest, most of it I wouldn't give a second look to. And in all transparency, if you ask my wife what is perhaps my greatest liability and yet my greatest quality, she'd say, you don't have the ability to fake a compliment. Guilty as charged. So when I tell you that the author of this book, Jeff Forrester, is one of the most sincere, well-respected, and unselfish people I've ever met, you can take it to the bank. He's somebody who I strive to emulate and who makes me want to be a better man. And finally, and most important, is that last box I mentioned checking off. Jeff's heart is in the right place. There's no doubt in my mind he had you, the reader, front and center as he wrote every word. This man will love on you through his words and inspire you with his stories, which makes me excited for you because you're going to put this book down after reading it, knowing that you've been better equipped with tools to achieve your goals in this life, and you'll possess a greater capacity to know, carry out, and live up to your greatest potential. David Norrie, host of the Turned On podcast, author of the best-selling book, Turned On, Tuning In, in a Tuned-Out World, and The Pursuit. Who am I? By most standards, my childhood was normal. During the 70s, I lived at home with my brother, mom, and dad. It was a small house with three bedrooms and one bathroom, but it was home to our family. My parents were hardworking Christian people, and there is no doubt they loved my brother and me very much. My dad, Bill, owned a toy store when my brother and I were growing up. I bet you just said to yourself, that would be so awesome growing up with a dad who owned a toy store. Well, it was, but not in the way you probably think. He gave me the employee discount of 25% off any regular price toy I wanted, and occasionally at cost. I'm not joking. But there's a lesson here. It's a lesson he was teaching me and one I believe to be important to this day. What's the lesson? Nothing is free. There must be a proper exchange and you're required to earn what you desire in most cases. If you want it, work for it. Dad certainly did that. He worked harder than anyone I know. Most of my childhood, he worked six days a week, and most of them were nine to nine, Monday through Friday, and nine to six on Saturday. Many days, we would take him dinner prepared by my mom, and it was the highlight of my day because I got to see him. Now, my dad had this way about him that most everyone loved. He was a jokester and made people laugh. It was always a joy to be around dad. Early in my childhood, Dad's toy store, named Toyland, was very successful. He opened a second store in an up-and-coming retail area of our small town, but that didn't work out so well for him financially. I don't have a lot of memories of this second store, but I know it didn't stay open very long. One thing I know is it caused him and my mom a lot of stress, and I don't think he ever overcame it. Dad was good about hiding any signs of stress from my brother and me, and in fact, I never saw the stress manifest in any other way than exhaustion when he came home. He just wanted to drink his tea, smoke his cigarette, and watch TV. I didn't see Dad very much when I was growing up. Most of the time, I was already in bed when he came home. He had a strong, hardworking values he instilled in me, and we will get into those a little later. As time went on, national competition came into town and squeezed the small business owner out, transitioning the business over to a hobby business. He sold RC planes, cars, model rockets, plastic models, and other items like that. 
Initially, this was an excellent move for him because there weren't many other stores like this in our little town of Gainesville. But it quickly sputtered a bit, and he was growing exhausted from chasing bills and being chained to the business so much. Then in 1990, he got sick. He had what everyone thought was a persistent case of walking pneumonia. It kept getting worse when my mom finally put her foot down and made him go to the doctor. Remember before when I shared that he liked his cigarettes? The symptoms he had been experiencing for months turned out to be related to stage 4 lung cancer that had metastasized to his brain and other organs. Doctors diagnosed him on the Wednesday before Thanksgiving in 1990. I remember being scared, but I was so naive, I really didn't know what we, as a family, were up against. They admitted him immediately and started chemotherapy. Dad's biggest concern was how this would affect us. To this day, I'm amazed at how unselfish he was, even when he was staring death in the eye. Cancer treatment was brutal on Dad's body. He was hospitalized every time, and finally, after three rounds, they stopped. It was just too toxic for his body. Three key moments jump out to me through this part of my life. First, after being diagnosed, Dad went forward at church to ask for forgiveness for his sins of smoking. He was confident this caused his illness. I never saw him play the victim card. Second to that was the power of his mind and will. He told my mom he wanted to live long enough to see me graduate from high school, and he did. He died almost one month to the day later on July 5th, 1991. Last, the day before he died, he couldn't open his eyes and speak, but he mustered the strength to say, don't let her spend any money. You read that right. The last statement was a true testament to my dad's nature. He was a simple man and knew he hadn't left her much insurance money. I wish I could tell you it was something out of a movie, but it wasn't. He shaped my life, and while he was sick, he shared with my mother how he wished he had spent more time with my brother and me and taught us the skills he had. I will never forget this and the impact he had on me positively and negatively. More to that later. I know my dad loved me with everything that he had. I was his buddy. My mother is an amazing woman, and she has always been amazing. She was a stay-at-home mom and assisted my dad with the store once it transitioned over to Hobbyland. My mom was the CEO of our home. She worked tirelessly to clean up after three boys, me, my brother, and my dad. She is a bit of a neat freak, and that's where I get it from. My mom is so strong and positive. Growing up, I saw her take wonderful care of my dad while he was healthy and then when he was sick. She never complains, always has a smile on her face, is so unselfish, and thinks the best of everyone she meets. I marveled at how positive she always was and is. Mom and Dad got into the multi-level marketing that was so popular in the 80s, and she became obsessed with positive thinking and self-help. She had cassettes of the great motivational speakers of the time, and I would listen to them all the time. An elementary-aged child listening to self-help motivational tapes isn't normal. But I know this is, <clears throat> has made me into who I am today. Mom encouraged it and would sing to us, Think positive, believe you can. Do anything that you plan. If you will, life will treat you grand. Think positive, man. It brings an enormous smile to my face to reflect on that. How cool is that to have a mom who is so positive? It's very cool. I would say I was an unfocused student and anything that was difficult, I just wouldn't do. So here comes the mom, Calvary. She's the only reason I think I survived primary school. She would call out spelling words and help me with projects. She was relentless but very loving throughout the entire time. 
Some of this, I feel, enables me to give up more quickly than most because I was not used to being challenged and pushed in hard times. More on that later. After my dad's diagnosis, that is when she put on her cape and showed us she was a superhero. She sacrificed everything for the next eight months to take care of my dad. She did everything, and I'm sure she was physically and emotionally exhausted, but never showed it. She was and is a pillar of strength few humans possess. I kept the doors open to the store, and she would manage the books and the bills, all while taking care of my dad. I really don't know how she did it. I love her so much and so thankful. God bless this earth with her. Then there's my brother, Will. I won't go too much into our relationship as kids because it was the normal brothers four years apart and nothing in common. We played a ton together in our small neighborhood because there weren't many other kids. He and I are much closer now and enjoy spending time together and even talking business. Will has been in the fashion merchandising business for over 25 years. I learn something from Will every time we speak, especially about business as he is highly skilled and knowledgeable about all aspects of the business. I've always looked up to him because he's always voiced his feelings much better than me. Now, sometimes I wish he wouldn't voice them all, but it is something I should work on. We all have our strengths, right? I love my brother a ton and he means a lot to me. I won't go too much into our relationship because this isn't a life story about me and him. Since you've read a bit about my immediate family, it's time to go into my childhood a bit. As a child, I struggled with self-esteem and self-image as I grew older. I was a funny, sensitive kid, but wasn't an extroverted kid. I recall being terrified to speak to strangers and anyone I wasn't familiar with. I was afraid. I know many kids are like this, but this has stuck with me most of my life. I wasn't and am still not the life of the party because I was and am concerned with how others think about me. I love the comfort of the familiar. I never liked to spend the night away from home because it was very different and scary, and I just didn't like it. I would have, but I wasn't an adventure seeker, so I missed out on a lot of stuff just because I feared trying and failing. I was the definition of a fixed mindset. I became good at making excuses and lies why I wouldn't or couldn't do something that scared me. I avoided anything difficult and slowly felt like I was weird. This thinking stuck with me for a very long time, deep into my adult life. I wanted things easy. I expected things to be easy. I talked to myself in my head a lot as a kid. I mean, a lot. Not in a multiple personality way, at least I don't think so, but I had a dialogue where I would talk myself out of things and then beat myself up after being afraid. Looking back, I wonder why I did that since I listened to so many self-help and positive tapes. I had a happy childhood. I was just limited with self-imposed fear I had. Like a lot of kids, I was husky. Once I hit the fourth grade, and I stayed that way until I was in college. It started out as genetics and then grew into just eating way too many ice cream sandwiches and bacon double cheeseburgers. I love to eat. It tasted so good and it made me feel great. I had a very unhealthy relationship with food. Feel bad? Eat. Feel good? Eat. I had no governor on when it was too much. Being overweight as a child is a magnet to getting picked on by everyone. I hated my body and how I looked, but I was unwilling to put in the work to change it. I remember praying that I would go to sleep and then wake up looking like one of the professional wrestlers on TV. People are cruel, and I didn't handle it well. I drew further into my shell or hit it with picking on other people or being a class clown. Words are powerful, and I believed what people would say. This feeling began the vicious cycle of my need to be accepted. I needed it. I desired it. 
I loved movies. They allowed me to escape reality and dream of being an adventurer in space or the desert. I could finally be the hero everyone admired and looked up to. My dad sold role-playing games at the store, and in late in elementary and early middle school, I met some other boys who enjoyed the imagination of an adventure just like I did. This holds very fond memories for me. Many people would consider us geeks or nerds because we weren't the jocks everyone thought you had to be, but we spent hours developing the skills of our characters, eating junk food, and laughing hysterically when something crazy happened. It was marvelous. I continued to play well into my college years, but not as much as before. There were many nights spent sitting around a kitchen table rolling dice. Don't knock it until you tried it. I found sports in the eighth grade and fell in love with basketball. It was a team of my friends because I went to a small Christian school, so there weren't many to pick from, and I'm happy about that because otherwise I would have never found sports. I had attempted on two different occasions to go to larger schools to play football because of my size, but as I mentioned earlier, I didn't enjoy pushing myself or doing anything difficult, so I quit there too. After graduating high school, I started on the path of losing excess weight and connected with a couple friends who wanted to go to the gym. I loved it. Lifting and getting getting stronger gave me an identity and purpose. This was the first time I enjoyed working hard because someone pushed me past what I thought I could do. The weight came off and I lost 20 pounds in the first month. This was great. I was still overweight, but now I was strong, and so I had delusions that I was far more talented than I was. I lived in a strange fantasy world I had created that gave me some peace because it was all talk. I never had to deliver. Over the next several years, I would learn more about weight loss and it kicked it in. I just knew if I could lose weight, the ladies would like me. I worked hard on losing the weight through eating better and riding my bike everywhere. I ended up losing 85 pounds. That's an amazing accomplishment, right? I'm proud of what I did, but not that proud of why I did it. I lost the weight in the hopes other people would accept me and I would accept me. The issue was people accepted me at my heaviest, but I was the one who got in the way. I worked throughout my college years. I was an exceptional student in high school, and I'm very thankful for Santa Fe Community College and the teachers there. They saved my academic career. I needed to take remedial classes because I skipped the SAT out of fear. You see a trend? I finally performed to a standard that afforded me the chance to get into the College of Journalism and Communications at the University of Florida. It thrilled me. My generation was expected to graduate from college, and now I had the opportunity to obtain an undergraduate degree in public relations. I loved public relations and learning about marketing, public speaking, and journalism. The classes were interesting, and I could listen in class and do well on the test because most of the classes weren't necessarily focused on tests, but projects. I'm very task-oriented and can nail projects and lead a group well. I was diligent and worked hard to graduate in two years after I started. I'm now a college graduate from the University of Florida. I never thought that would happen. So much so, I asked President Lombardi when I accepted my diploma if I could give him a hug. Now it's time to get a real job. My mom and I had struggled financially for the last couple of years, and we both discussed how my dad had grown tired of owning his own business and didn't see that he had other options. So we both thought it best to be someone else's employee with good benefits and a steady paycheck. I really enjoyed running the family business. I learned so much from the day-to-day operations and the lessons my dad had taught my mom and me that are still with me today. I learned creativity and how to sell. These two things landed me my first job. 
My roommate at the time was part owner in a family business of selling technology to the education market. He invited me to go help him on an installation for a couple weeks, and after showing how I could perform, they offered me a sales job. I was so excited. I'll never forget and can see it like it just happened. It was my first day as a salesman, and I have on my golf shirt and khakis. I sat down at the desk they assigned me, and my roommate's boss walked up with the Florida Directory of Schools and How to Network book, flopped them down on my desk and said, go get them. There I am with zero real computer skills expected to sell computers and wireless networking to schools. Cold calling schools. My roommate and his family were bootstrap kind of people, self-made and successful, and that, and why I, wouldn't I be the same? The part of me ruled by fear wished they would have had held my hand and gave me everything. But the grateful, more mature me is grateful they managed me the way they did. I didn't dig as much as I should have, but I was a sponge listening to the text in the back. I learned the lingo, shared chocolate chip cookies and lunch with these guys, and it helped. This started me knowing the importance of not depending on other people to help me. How badly did I want to be successful? I wanted it and needed to put the work in, but still whined and complained on many occasions and had a victim mentality. I could have done so much more there, but I had an awesome opportunity presented to me in 1999 to get into pharmaceutical sales. It terrified me. I wasn't good at science. I avoided it. But here I am facing my fears. I had some good friends and great trainers who gave me confidence that I didn't need to know it all and they would teach me what I needed to know. Fortunately, I met my best friend still to this day and he was a biology major. Thanks, Butch. I passed the initial pass-fail test. This was old school pharma where you went to training and if you didn't pass, they sent you back to your room and you flew home without a job. This rocked my anxiety and worry. I always went to the worst case scenario versus being confident in my intelligence. Turns out, I'm an intelligent guy. This was the beginning of the next 21 years of my professional career. During my career, I have had the fortune of learning from different people and holding various positions. I've been in customer-facing sales, training, marketing, and leadership. I established a new passion for learning and improving by consuming as much self-development material as possible. In each role, I committed to learning skills that would elevate my skills and performance and wasn't dependent on other people to help me. Remember my first job out of college and the book flopped on the desk? Other than basic product knowledge, these billion-dollar pharmaceutical companies and leaders do the same thing. I learned that no one cares about your development as much as you do. I agree and disagree with that statement. I thought no one cared as much for their development as I did. When I was training and when I was in training and leadership, most people I worked with showed little interest in getting better. Now they said they were, but most weren't willing to make the commitment to put in the work or put their ego aside to hear other people's ideas. I struggled with this and with my low self-esteem. I took it as I was failing and then masked that with arrogant humility that my way was the best. I was moving up the ladder, so why wouldn't they want to do it my way? I mean, they weren't taking any initiative, so at least my way would get them further, right? I look back and shake my head at myself. I wanted them to be successful and reach new heights, but I was doing it so I would get the credit. That's awful. I should have wanted them to be successful for them, not only myself. With time and reflection, I have seen the importance of being intentional in everything we do. Nothing worthwhile happens by chance. We must make it happen. We should be active in our own development in every aspect of our life. Take me, for example. 
I was active and intentional in my professional career, but winging it with my faith and my family. What was I thinking? If I wanted to be the best man I can be, I needed to be intentional in each aspect of my life, and so do you. I believe you should identify your strengths and your weaknesses foremost, and then go to work. Ask for help. Share these things with people in your circle or influence. Doing this has changed my life. I'm serious, and this isn't just a line to sell the book. I am a different man than I was two years ago, and like me for once in my life. <clears throat> I'm still a work in progress, but, I, but once I committed to aligning my life properly with faith first, family second, and work third, all three are doing great. My goal is for you to see where I came from and learn the four key things I have learned and coached hundreds of people in the past 21 years that can take you from being just ordinary with your faith, family, and professional career. Keep an open mind and commit to holding yourself accountable to put in the work. You must do the work, and I'm confident when you stop delegating your development, you will create the perfect path for you. 